Hello and welcome to an episode of Hello Grow, where we say hi to the founders and investors who are building the future. I'm your host, Tiffany Monahan, and today I am live where I say hi to Maria Setta, the co-founder and CEO of Delta Block. This episode is brought to you by Grow by SAP, a program designed for hypergrowth company needs to power tomorrow today. To learn more, check the link in the show notes. Welcome, Maria. Could you introduce yourself? Hello. Uh, well, thank you for inviting me. Uh, I am Maria Seta. Yes, I, uh, I'm the co-founder of DeltaBlock. Uh, I used to be a trader and portfolio manager. Uh, I worked in the, in the capital markets industry for about uh, a decade now. Uh, and yes, I'm very happy to, to be here. Awesome. So Maria, when I met you, you had been doing a panel discussion about Delta Block and I was learning about you afterwards where you met your co-founder who's actually a mathematician as well and you were a trader at JP Morgan previously. Could you talk about how the both of you came together and the experience that you had as a Trade engineer, would you say? Yes, a financial engineer. A financial engineer. Um, so, yes, sure. Uh, well, I come from Argentina. Uh, so, actually, I've started my career working on investment funds, um, help, uh, working in the, from the portfolio management perspective. Uh, so, basically, I was in charge of putting together different portfolios or, or managing them, uh, following uh, specific rules. Uh, after some time, uh, well, I was uh, sent uh, to France to improve my mathematical background. Uh, but then I decided to stay due to the job opportunities that we can, that we can find here. I started working for a brief uh, period of time uh, on an investment fund, a quant investment fund, where we put together different, uh, different mathematical models to build portfolios. It was super interesting. Uh, we tried to use uh, new technologies, a little bit of AI, uh, on, on the decision-making process that we had. Um, but uh, after a, a few months, I actually been called by a uh, entrepreneur first. Entrepreneur first is actually a VC uh, based in the UK uh, who recruits, uh, I believe, 50 people every year here in Paris. And they try to match them to build startups, right? But what's funny about this, uh, these people is that the, these people recruits uh, professionals in areas that has nothing to do with entrepreneurship. So, for instance, they recruit mathematicians, uh, people from biology, uh, medicine, you know, all these areas that normally do not, you know, they, they, they are not building startups. They're just working at big institutions, I may say. They're like specialists. Exactly, exactly. Okay. So, uh, in, this, uh, in this experience, I've met my co-founder. Uh, he's called Hamza Al-Khalufi and he comes from Morocco. He has a very interesting uh, background in mathematics and research. So he's been working in, in, many, uh, in many financial institutions in France, but he's, uh, he spent most of his career in the academia researching uh, different uh, mathematical models. Uh, he started to be very interested in what we called uh, liquidity issues, right? So it's how... Can, how is the trading activity distributed among different markets, different assets, right? So this is what he uh, became very interesting at. And of course, after we met, after we met uh, he's from Morocco and from Argentina. So of course, we detected immediately a huge pain point, which is that 
our economies or our countries do not get the visibility they deserve, right? So we have amazing companies uh, with, uh, you know, in, in, that are uh, quoted in an exchange. So they are listed in our exchanges, but nobody else have ever heard of them. And after a little bit of digging, we realized that, you know, that even here in France, it's more likely for everyone to buy one of the top 50 US listed companies like Tesla or Apple, rather than buying shares of companies doing the exact same thing in their own countries. So imagine how it damages their own economies, right? So actually, uh, after detecting this problem, we decided to uh, start working and uh, we're trying to leverage Hamza's research in the area and my experience in trading this kind of assets into trying to improve a little bit of the visibility of small size companies that are listed in, uh, in the stock exchange. Oh, okay. So a lot to unpack here. And <laughs> it's, it's amazing how translating the mathematic and ac academia into a model for business to solve some of the liquidity issues that, that you guys have identified. So for those listeners who maybe are not so well versed on what the what the stock markets in other countries actually look like. Could you maybe explain why, um, like the stocks, how the stocks in Morocco are listed and why it would be of value for outsiders or even, even within your own country to actually be able to um, have visibility into what the, what the value is there? Yes, of course. So I guess the main pain point that we see uh, is that companies that do not have a lot of trading activity normally have uh, can lose up to 40% of their market valuation just because of the lack of trading activity. They may be doing amazingly. They have fun, uh, amazing fundamentals. They are building amazing products. But imagine yourself. Now imagine you're a trader. Let's put it in simple terms. You're a trader. Okay. You want to buy a share of this amazing company from your country that you believe that is the future. But when you go and you try to buy it, you see that nobody else is either buying nor selling the share. What and do you do? So you don't want to buy it anymore. You say, no, it's too much risk. You know, maybe the company is amazing, but it's as amazing as I thought if nobody else is actually exchanging the share. So you start to wonder, right? Because it, you start to wonder if it's just too much risk that you're taking. But imagine if everyone thinks the same way. So at the end of the day, nobody trades this share just because nobody else is trading the share, right? And you decide maybe to buy just Apple because it's close enough or Tesla because it's close enough, but it looks safer, right? So, and this has many impacts in the market. First is the one we said before. Now the company starts to lose valuation, right? Because if nobody else buys nor sells the share, people start to decrease the value of the company, right? Because they say it doesn't have the visibility, uh, enough visibility, there's too much risk. So if I want the share, then I want it cheaper, you know? So that's normally what's happening. But let's put it uh, from the other point of view, from the point of view of the retail investor, like you and me. What happens here? I can only access the biggest companies. I cannot, I cannot access the stocks of the small size firms. And the only firms who can actually buy or sell the shares are the big companies, the major financial institutions, right? So uh, actually it's a, it's a matter not only of valuation, but act also a matter of access from uh, the retail investor. So if I were to go into my brokerage account and search for one of these companies, would I not be able to find them or I'd have to know exactly what I'm looking for? No, you'll be able to find it because uh, they are uh, publicly listed. So normally they're, they sh should be as accessible as any other big firm in the mm -hmm. stock exchange. The problem is that nobody else is 
buying or selling the share. So you will immediately see that the price has not moved for the past maybe three to five days, for example, or you'll see that there's nobody else placing orders. So that's what you will see. And uh, at the end of the day, yes, the, the decision making process for a retail investor is like that. They say, I want to invest in tech, but then I will buy just the big company. And uh, I don't know if you, uh, if you uh, remember, but last time we spoke about how important it is for a retail investor to invest in small size firms, because those firms are the ones who have most upside, right? Because imagine this, if you are buying a share of Nestle, no, a very big company. It already uh, grew everything that it could have grown, right? Because, okay, the only, uh, the only thing for them is to build a new product. It's, it's very unlikely that this firm achieves uh, major growth, uh, you know, in the, in the upcoming year. But for a small size company, yes, there's too much potential. There's a lot of things that they can develop. But at the end of the day, if only major financial institutions can access them, then, well, as you can imagine, this profit is only gathered by some firms. And, and so how is Delta Black then bridging the gap between, okay, one, understanding that these companies are listed and that they're available, but then also seeing what their upside is or what their potential is? Well, actually, uh, Delta Block technology, what it does uh, in simple terms is we uh, use trading algorithms to grow the trading activity of these firms, right? So... Actually, where technology comes to do is just to uh, try to move the shares uh, from uh, different, uh, you know, retail investors to institutional investors or vice versa in the stock market. And we want everyone to see that there's movement in these shares. So, at the, but at the end of the day, the expectations of the market are the expectations of the market, right? So if the company is doing great, the share price should go up. If the company is not doing great, then the stock price should go down. So at the end, we don't, uh, we don't modify the expectations. The only thing we do uh, is try to uh, put together this technology that will enable everyone in the market who is interested in this share to actually exchange it and not be afraid of not being able to liquidate their position in the near future. Okay, so it gives them with Delta Block then, if I'm understanding, the reassurance that there's less risk than they think because you're providing the visibility into like the actual status of this company on the on the market. Yes, correct. Okay. And so this is super interesting. And I just, so recently I just watched Wolf of Wall Street. Okay. <laughs> Again. And this is, this is a maybe way off topic, but uh, in the beginning of the film, he's trading penny stocks. Uh-huh. Would this be like that, the, like a penny stock equivalent or No. Well, actually, that's not at our sweet spot. Actually, we're trying to work with uh, slightly bigger companies, not a penny stock. But it's true that we uh, started to work with a, a company which, uh, yes, had this kind of, uh, you know, we can say that it's a penny stock uh, in Singapore, right? Uh, but let's keep in mind that in Singapore, there's many shares. Uh, that have very low valuation, every share independently, but just because it's the way the market works there, right? It's not, uh, you cannot compare the way Singapore works with uh, the US, right? It's it's not the same thing. Uh, we can say it's a penny stock because it's ac it actually worth pennies, right? But uh, it moves more like uh, closer to a small size company, a traditional and regular small size company. Is there expectations, or not expectations, assumptions that some of the companies that you're talking to have that you have to overcome in order to say like, okay, you might have this 
mindset, your mind is already made up about these types of companies on this market in Morocco or in Argentina, for example. Like, is there that hurdle that you have to cross to make your your case that they are valuable stocks? Mm. Well, yes. Actually, you know, the, the lack of trading activity has many, uh, many reasons, right? It's not only because, uh, I don't know, we see some uh, frictions in the market. Uh, but yes, there's many, many ways where we could try to overcome this problem. Mm -hmm. First of all, I say it's because of Delta Blocks technology, of course, <laughs> but uh, also because there's not enough what we call equity research. No, mm -hmm. equity research is basically when financial institutions take the time to study the fundamentals uh, and, you know, the projections or the expectations of a listed company and they publish it. No, So it's available for everyone. Unfortunately, of course, what's, uh, what's better for them is that what, what's uh, best for them is if they do this research for Apple or Tesla because they, they are sure that they will have many views or many downloads. But if they do it about a small Argentinian company, I don't believe nobody will really get interest. So at the end of the day, what happens is that the major companies have a lot of research, a lot of information on the web. Everyone knows about the latest project and the new uh, employee, uh, but they know nothing about the smaller companies because nobody actually takes the time to make th this research. So we have this two problems that I believe uh, that needs to be solved. What we try to solve is more of the in-market problem, which is, uh, as I mentioned, if uh, if there's no uh, no movement in the market, suddenly we start to see more market frictions, higher volatility, big uh, beta spreads, well, many, many uh, variables that are like a red light for, for many retail and institutional investors. That's what we try to solve. But it will be incomplete if we don't uh, try also to build some research of these small size companies. Uh, to be available to the public. And uh, so as you approach them to do this research, what is their reaction or how do they how do they perceive contributing to it? Um, well, uh, first is that they cannot really find a way to monetize that, right? Because of course, if they do a major research on a big company, there's many investment funds willing to invest in this research because they need to know if they're investing in the right company. But if there's no real interest from the institutional side, on knowing about small size companies, then it's like uh, the, the researchers lose interest in doing so, right? Uh, so I believe that Delta Block uh, job will also be to try to engage researchers on, on making a little bit more of research on small size companies. And I believe that it would also come if uh, the, the retail investor also gets interest in knowing about, about small size companies and start asking for this research. Okay, interesting. And so could you talk about then who Delta Block's actual client is? Sure. So, well, um, the way this works is through what is called a liquidity contract, right? So okay. a liquidity contract is an agreement between the listed company and the liquidity provider, or in this case, Delta Block. And the way this works, uh, the listed company, which is our main client, uh, will uh, entrust us with uh, a certain amount of shares, right? Normally, normally a very small amount, right? So it's it's very small amount compared to the to the market capitalization. And with these shares that we've been entrusted with, uh, we start buying and selling this share in a strategic manner to uh, make sure that we are preventing market frictions, that we are preventing uh, the spread to get bigger, or we are providing more market depth, well, and managing all the variables that many investors look at. Okay, and 
So with these selected shares that, that are entrusted to you, these, these are the shares that then are applied with the algorithm that Delta Block has created. Exactly. So uh, the algorithm takes these shares and uh, try to uh, predict uh, what the market would do in order to avoid uh, these market frictions that we were discussing before. All these market frictions that will make you as a retail investor not invest in the company, right? So we want every investor to look at the company, to look at the real value of the company, the real fundamentals to make their decision and not to see at uh, the market uh, conditions or the market frictions because, as we discussed before, uh, it's a very unfair way to look at it because, of course, the major companies will always look better than, than the small size ones. Than the small ones. And so how, how did you both, you and your co-founder, realize the value in the, in the market here and realize that it's untapped potential, if you will? Well, actually, um, well, after we started uh, to build DeltaBlock from uh, the research of my co-founder, we had the algorithm that uh, is able to grow the liquidity or the traded volume of these companies, but we didn't, didn't really know how to apply it, how to implement it, right? So the natural way of go uh, to go uh, in this area is normally uh, to use these algorithms to grow your profit and to, you know, to make every algorithm grow your profits in your trading activity, right? So the natural way of developing this would have been to sell our algorithm to an investment fund for them to uh, earn more money, right? So that would be the natural thing. But after discussing a little bit with all of the market actors, we realized that there was a bigger problem there, right? And we found out this, uh, this unequal distribution of the trading activity and how it was damaging uh, small and mid-cap companies, right? Um, here in France, we only look at what it's called the CAC 40, right? It's the, it's the index uh, with the 40 uh, bigger, biggest companies. And normally everyone only look, looks at that. Uh, but actually here we have about a thousand companies listed. So what happens with the rest? And uh, well, we discovered that they lose uh, between 20 and 40% of their market valuation. These firms also have, have it very hard to... Uh, uh, raise debt, no? So if they want to issue debt or ask for a loan, they are perceived as a riskier company. So they have worse interest rates, for example. Um, and uh, last but not least, what happens when these companies who decided to get listed in order to get visibility at the European level do not get any visibility in the rest of the European market, right? <laughs> so they feel like, why would have made this decision if nobody <laughs> would look at that? So uh, we discovered that it was actually a huge problem and I believe that it, I don't know, we felt more motivated to solve this problem because coming from emerging markets, we really understand how impactful this is to the real economy. So we decided to move forward and try to, uh, let's say, repurpose algorithms that are normally used uh, for speculative purposes and use it instead of, you know, make, making a, taking advantages from the market frictions to avoid the market frictions from happening in the first place. So, yes. And so from, okay, a couple of things. So from what you just said about the companies who, who list, they expect to get more visibility. They're having 20 to 40% valuation loss. It sounds like in the first place, it's not a very good idea to list. But do you think that Delta Block in redistributing the wealth and using the algorithm to solve that discrepancy that it could eventually one day entice small or medium-sized businesses to list in their home market units. Yes, I believe, and I believe that's actually crucial. 
we should have a more transparent economy. So what happens if companies do not get listed? The public doesn't know about them, right? We, we don't get to know if the companies are uh, behaving properly or not. So there's one thing that we are seeing in, in the general public, which is this interest of knowing about uh, the gender policies, for example, that a company takes uh, in their own company, or if they are damaging the ecosystem, for example. And we know that it's something very important for any citizen, uh, at least here in Europe now. Uh, so it is crucial for these firms to be listed because that means that they are in the public eye, right? And uh, you and me will have the right uh, to push their shares up or down according to what we believe that they're doing, right? So I believe it's, it's the right thing to do to have most of our companies listed, right? Because if not, they, they're only private and they can do whatever they want as long as the regulator is good with them. And I believe we should have a say on what the companies are doing. So that's the first thing, right? I believe transparency markets will be given uh, by listing all of these companies in the market. So this is crucial, I believe. Um, so, uh, so yes, and I believe one of the, there's many reasons why a company do not want to get listed. Maybe the first one is because they're not, you know, uh, following these rules that we were just discussing. Uh, so maybe they don't want to be looked at. <laughs> That's one reason. But actually what happened in the past uh, years is that um, we have more companies wanting to get listed, we have the general public wanting companies to get listed, but the exchanges and the regulators ask for a lot of money for a company to get listed, right? So what happens here? We have a huge problem. Uh, it's very expensive, which means that only companies with deep pockets can get listed, right? So uh, I guess we, we've also discussed that before the other day, which is that there's a need from uh, every retail investor to start acquiring shares of tech companies. But what happens if the exchange are not providing enough tech companies for you to buy, right? So mm -hmm. people start to uh, buy crypto or trying to find other alternatives outside of the market to acquire that risk or to acquire these kind of companies. Because I believe that exchanges are not following this trend, right? Are not, uh, are not uh, in line with the trends that we see now in the market from the retail investment side. Uh, we understand that they are trying to uh, make it more flexible now. We see more uh, projects uh, from Euronext, for instance, and in the US as well with the SPACs programs. Uh, so now they're trying to make it more flexible in order for smaller size companies to get listed uh, because they understand how important that is. Uh, but uh, but yes, I guess uh, it's uh, for to answer to finish you know, to answer the question. I guess it's very important also for the listed company to get listed because they start to get visibility to investors from all over the world. So it's a point where uh, maybe uh, only VCs is not enough for you to you know uh, finance all the growth that you are expecting to have. Mostly if you are an international firm, uh, so it's very important to raise funds from the stock exchange, which means that. Of course, you will access international investors from all over the world, and the fundraise will, well, ideally, will become will become easier uh, for these kind of companies. And and so encouraging the companies to list allows people who one are are living in these societies to have more of a say in what the companies who essentially are building their their future exactly. have more of a say in how they're doing that because it impacts them in the long run and then also there's a piece about investors always want more to be able to invest in mm -hmm. and being able to have the visibility to see what it what what actually is out there yeah correct and so 
I do want to go back to what you mentioned about people want to find an alternative investment. And so they're looking to things like cryptos and NFTs. Mm -hmm. Do either one of those play in with Delta Block and your strategy at all? Well, actually, the way Delta Block was born is uh, actually focused on, on, on shares. Actually, that's uh, where we are focusing. We understand that the same problem exists in the crypto market as well. Uh, but well, our technology was born from uh, the academia, and well, it was a, a little bit biased uh, towards traditional markets. Uh, but uh, I believe that uh, well, we have heard about many exchanges trying to incorporate the crypto in the traditional exchange, uh, and we're looking forward to that because that will mean that we may, we will have more assets listed in the exchange in the public eye. Uh, so that will bring a lot of new new asset classes and new possibilities for the retail investors. So. So we're, yes, we're looking forward to that. <laughs> and and so with crypto, one of the ideas behind it is it seems very much in line with what you are doing with Delta Block and trying to enhance the emerging markets where crypto is also providing a currency that's accessible, doesn't have borders, things, things to this nature that allow people in emerging markets to be more active. But do you see the the framework as you say behind delta block where it's more of a traditional market versus the crypto market which is very non-traditional yes. do you see that there tension there at all <laughs> yeah i see it and actually uh, we always ask within our team uh, one main question which is do we believe uh, that this uh, crypto market will remain independent from the traditional markets or we believe that jp morgan or major firms will start you know, centralizing the way we operate in the crypto world, right? We see, as I mentioned, we see exchanges such as the SGX, you know, uh, and, uh, and the Swiss uh, stock exchange mainly, aiming to incorporate, uh, you know, tokens or, or crypto assets in their traditional markets. So in this case, we are going to start seeing a centralized <laughs> blockchain, uh, which from my point of view does not make a lot of sense, right? Uh, it's not the, uh, you know, the, the reason why it was built, but at the end of the day, we will start seeing crypto markets inside a traditional market. So at the end, should we think the crypto market as a different and independent market or should we see it 10 years from now as a component or as any other asset class that uh, works in the traditional markets? Right. And, and so 10 years from now, Let's go back to that. Last time we were talking to you about quantum computing. Oh, whoa. And so <laughs> maybe this is a curveball. But, uh, but what you had said last time was about quantum computing, that if it existed in 10 years, I'll actually yeah. you use diet. <laughs> You'll say much better than I will. Well, yes. Uh, actually, uh, well, I'm fascinated by this technology, actually. Um, I've uh, only met a few people actually digging really deep into this from the academic world. And actually, these people are quite optimistic on, on getting this kind of uh, equipment uh, in the near future. Right now, uh, of course, having this kind of technology means that we will have very, very powerful uh, tech able to crack any sort of encrypted thing that we are currently working with. Uh, we can talk about crypto market, but we can also talk about just credit cards, right? All of our, all of the technologies that we are currently using could be cracked <laughs> by this kind of technology. So I believe 10 years from now, we really sh should think on how the way we pay or the way we uh, 
do and conduct our daily life will change in order to avoid this machine from, from you know, destroying this, this kind of activities. So I guess that's something that in the stock market we're also looking at very closely. And that's why I believe uh, there's this huge interest in payments, right? In, in fintech and in payments. You'll see in the VC world how all of them are actually focusing on payments. It's, the, it's one of the major problematics. And why is that? Because the current way we are paying, which is credit cards, will get uh, outdated after we have these kind of technologies like quantum computing in the real world. So that's why I guess VCs, uh, everyone in the stock market are really looking at these kind of uh, new technologies in areas that we believe will be outdated uh, 10 years from now. Yeah. Uh, you're right. There is so, so many payment fintechs. And yes. One thing I always think is like, who, who will be the top ones? Yeah. Like, can they all survive in the future? No, yeah, that's, that's a good question, actually. Uh, I believe uh, what happens with payments is that uh, there's also, you know, it's a very regulated field. So uh, we see that there's like different startups doing the exact same thing in different geographies, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I believe it will remain in the same way. And why is that? Because every market has their own regulations. And I believe uh, at the end of the day, we'll see uh, different providers uh, yeah, sticking into one geography and that's it. Well, that, do you think that that would then create some fragmentation between like how if I, like I'm from the U.S. and I live in France, like how, how do you think that it would be more of a divide, even more difficult than it is today <laughs> to be able to transact internationally? Well, actually, I don't know. I, you know, this is not really my field of expertise, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but well, actually what we are seeing right now is that we have different uh, payment methods and uh, that, you know, are, are going sort of like mainstream, like paying with a QR, for instance, or, uh, well, I don't know, paying with your phone, like all these kind of technologies. But what we are seeing is actually that it's not that one takes it all, but rather, you know, different companies focusing on different segments or in different, different countries or things like that. And I believe that these technologies will be able to connect with each other, right? So maybe you have a provider in Argentina and another different in the U.S., and you will be able to still use your application when you go to the U.S. or, you know, the other way around. So I believe at the end of the day, that would be the, the way it works, and not that we will have one major company and only one providing the service. And I believe it's also something that you can think it from the way the market is split right now, no, with credit cards. You don't have one credit card. Right? You have many credit cards. Too and many. even here, you can you not use your American Express from the U.S., right? <laughs> because that only works in the U.S. And here in Europe, maybe you use your MasterCard because it's stronger here. And maybe in Latin America, you use a different one. Or in Argentina, you use a different one. So as you see, the market of payments, even now, today, without this uh, quantum computing thing uh, coming in, we still have it very fragmented, right? With different credit cards and different providers that are stick to one geography or to one industry or to one thing. And I believe the future of this technology will reproduce the same scheme. I believe it's it's very hard to think that only one company will actually be the owner of the way people pay their staff. Yeah. And so taking this uh, geography, and we'll take it back to, to Delta Block. So you mentioned that you're starting in Singapore. Yes. And how are you thinking about the geographies that you serve? Well, that's, oof, that's a very good uh, question. Actually, uh, we discovered that this problem is actually a huge problem for emerging markets. Mm -hmm. Now, having said that, not all economies are ready for this kind of technology. 
for Delta Black for Delta Black Technology. Just to give you an example, uh, in South America, for instance, we don't have strong exchanges able to detect algorithms, right? So, for instance, they don't know if I'm there or if I'm just, you know, a bunch of retail actors uh, trading. But here in Europe, we have a way, or let's say the exchange has a way to detect uh, which actors are algorithms. And in that way, that's very important because you need to be able to know if the algorithm is trying to manipulate the market, for example. Right? If you have an algorithm trying to do something that's illegal, you need to know if it's an algorithm or not. Uh, so the fact that this market do not have the technology uh, to regulate our activity means that we are not, they're not ready to really receive us. Right? Yeah. Uh, they can, there's no way they can say that we are working for good or for bad or for evil. Right? They, they don't know that. <laughs> So we had to find an every market, right, where people were educated enough and they still need this kind of solution because they have many small-sized companies uh, that aim to be international. And that's where we came up with going to Singapore. They have, made, they have very relevant companies of small size, mostly in the real estate uh, uh, industry, for example, also in tech well, in, and in many others. And uh, they have the technology to detect us in the market. They have very sophisticated stock exchange. Uh, and, uh, well, they're very flexible for new technologies as well. Mm -hmm. So we found there the, the right market to start. The time to market is faster because they tend to be more flexible when it comes to regulation because they have all this tech so they can detect if you're doing something wrong. They don't need to, you know, put you uh, through a, a lot of... Uh, I don't know, of, of process, a long process to understand how you work and how the algorithm works, they can detect you and they can know immediately if you're biasing the market or not. So this turned out to be a, a key reason why we decided to go there. Mm -hmm. But actually, our, I, our next step would be uh, to also focus in Europe uh, just because of the, the markets are so educated about the problem. Every small size company know about the problem and they want to fix it. Uh, unlike maybe Latin America or North of Africa that we started to, to talk about. And only maybe, uh, you know, uh, some of the market actors that consider this to be a problem that needs to be solved, but because they're not yet educated about, uh, about yes, the, the problems that the lack of liquidity brings. So That's amazing. And it's clear that there is an opportunity in Europe. Yeah. And so... Thank you so much. It was great to learn all about Delta Black and your perspective on fintech and everything. And we have one closing question for you that uh, we're going to make a tradition for every episode is tell me about something recently that inspired you. And it, does, it doesn't have to be related to Delta Black. It can just be in your everyday life as well. Great. So, well, uh, there's one thing that actually inspired me a lot. There was this event in Station F. Uh, F for fun, uh, where this lady from uh, Google came. Uh, and actually, we, uh, well, we are always discussing about this bias coming from the investor side, how only or major investors go only to, you know, uh, male founders uh, building traditional technologies or, or things like that are more sort of mainstream. So this lady came and explained that Google is actually looking uh, to invest in Africa, for example, and only in African founders, um, and that they have been investing for the past year, I believe, or so, in I don't know how many companies, it was crazy. Uh, but I felt very inspired because there's a major company such as Google trying to prove that there's value in diversity, that it's not just a, ma a matter of, you know, uh, 
being a good person, you know, and, and investing uh, in Africa because it's the right thing to do. But actually, they're investing them because they uh, they are positive that there's value that needs to be unlocked there. Uh, so I felt uh, very inspired by that. Actually, I believe uh, that even the way Delta Block was born and everything, it was very much inspired by this sort of diverse thinking, right? People coming from outside, trying to think of how can we repurpose things that normally would be using this way, but, you know, trying to uh, to find the points of view that are not uh, very common, maybe here in Europe. Uh, so yes, I felt uh, very motivated by this uh, by this lady from the UN. <laughs> yeah, I, actually, I I was there too, and I do have to say she was one where I I was taking notes on what she was saying, and I was amazed. And yeah. you're right, it's not just investing because oh, it's so good and uh, it looks good and everything, but it's one, the right thing to do, and two, there's real value to be unlocked. Exactly. It, it, amazing. And, and I guess there was one phrase that she said that, the, that said that uh, investing in diversity is not charity. Yeah. You know, that was a phrase that I went out thinking like, yes, that's correct. It's not charity. There's actually real value. And I say that, and I started to think like the same way that Google would prove it with this investment fund, Datablock will prove it as well with our product. <laughs> yes, you will. And that's a great note to end on. Thank you so much, Maria. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs>